I'm Jake Cornell. I'm a comedian in New York City, and for the past 10 years, I've been living and breathing the restaurant industry. This is a show where I'll be talking to comedians, actors, bartenders, chefs, and restaurant owners about all things going out. We'll talk about restaurants, bars, staying in, drinking, not drinking, and whatever else we want. This is Going Out with Jake Cornell. on an asthma attack. I slept somewhere with a cat last night and so I'm kind of struggling. Are you allergic to cats? So, do you not know that about me? I'm no. so allergic to cats. It sucks. Wait, so what happens to you when you're around one? So, if I'm like, if I walk into a place that has a cat, initially I'm fine. The first thing that's going to happen is if I touch anything and then touch my eyes, my eyes are going to start itching and watering and burning. Ugh. Then if I... And then it'll start with the sneezing and the sniffling. And then where we're at right now is it's in my lungs and I feel asthmatic. Like, oh my God. Like, I have to be kind of like mindful about breathing. It's a little intense. So, like, when we were laughing earlier, it was really hard for me. Oh my God. Wait, so did you know ahead of time that there was going to be a. Yeah. So, we just did the tour. We just did the the DC and the Philly date of man and woman. And DC, they like put us up in a hotel. Like, we had the whole, the whole nine. It was amazing. Mm -hmm. Philly, they did not. It was like, figure it out. It's very got, Philly of Philly. Yeah, I think we got paid a stipend to whatever. We were just like, oh, my friend, my I have really good friends that live in Philly. So we stayed with my friends. There was a cat. I was like, it's fine. I'll take a pill. I was like mostly fine, but I can like feel it today that I slept somewhere where there was a cat. Oh, God. But I'm fine. Do you have other allergies? Well, there's that. I had an allergic reaction <laughs> to shrimp that one time. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I and remember that's that. It. But otherwise, no. Because I'm like... I'm allergic to nothing except for guinea pigs. That's really crazy. And the way that I found out was I had guinea pigs <laughs> as a child. <laughs> I had two of them and I was obsessed. They're literally just like large rats. Like they're disgusting creatures. I mean, I love guinea pigs. I do too. They're so they're cute. They're so cute. And I had two. One was named Fudge and one was named Milkshake. And I just started getting so ill. <laughs> So you had to get rid of them? Yeah, we had That's to send so them. And when I say we sent them to a farm, we like actually sent them to a farm. There's a lot of farms near where I grew up. So That's we sent so them to a farm. Sweet. They probably were way happier there, but That's still. That's so sweet. I had to get like all these allergy tested. Allergy tests. You know, when you go in, they yeah, do like, like 50 things yeah, on yeah. your back. And like only one came up and it was literally guinea pigs. That's so crazy. <laughs> That's so crazy. Wait, but I went. So I went out and I didn't go out at night in Philly or DC really at all. But I went to, I got a cheesesteak when I was in Philly before the show and it was so good. I went to, I posted on Instagram and I was like, where should I go? Lots of recommendations. It was kind of like the same three places that kept Cats coming and up. and Geno's or whatever. Those well, two like really well-known ones. We passed those, but people were telling us not to do those because apparently they Touristy. have like some like, no, yes, like they're not actually good. And also there was some sort of like racial issue with one of them. And like, I think they're really popular oh. cops maybe. I don't know. Oof. So we didn't go to those. The yeah. three that kept on coming up was Jim's, Sonny's, and D'Alessandro's were the three that, and Rico's or something, Nick. There was like one that was like short. Anyway, we based it based on where it was closest to where we were staying. So we went to Sonny's. So good. So good. I love a Philly cheesesteak. Have you had, like, are you someone that would like seek that out? Like, would you order a Philly cheesesteak like in New York? I'm or sure were you, like, I've I'm had, in Philly, so I've I had a cheese. No, I wouldn't get a cheesesteak here. Um... 
I think I had had a cheese, like a, a steak sandwich over the course of my life. Like I've, I've had like a cheesesteak inspired sandwich over the course of my life, but I never had like a cheesesteak in Philly. So that was good. They didn't get very creative with the name on that one. They don't need to though. I don't know. It's not, I guess it is different than a chopped cheese. It's different than a chopped cheese. What's uh, a chopped cheese? Are you kidding? No. It's like, that's like the quintessential New York bodega sandwich is a chopped cheese. Harlem. Is that true? Uptown. Uptown, like Harlem in the Heights. Yeah, yeah, Chopped cheese. Well, I wouldn't know. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't need meat. But yeah. I don't know. I feel like some sandwiches have really cute names. Like, I like a caprese, even a cubano. <laughs> like, we couldn't come up with something better than just, like, naming the two ingredients that are inside the sandwich. But the, it's, the full name is Philly cheesesteak, so it also has the location in which you're eating it. It's really creative. <laughs> what? Um, did you go out anywhere fun this weekend while I was away? Um... Over the weekend, I was sick as a dog. Oh, I, no. I had, like, the stomach flu from hell. It was actually terrible. I had so many fun plans that I had to cancel. Oh, no. Um, but I came back with a vengeance this week, and I've been, I've been like, so much more energized to, like, do fun things. Fuck like, yeah. There's, no, there's nothing that makes you, like, appreciate being alive more than, like, getting terribly sick. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like... <laughs> I'm just like, now I'm just like... Literally everything is going around right now. It's like COVID, flu, RSV, and the stomach bug. Yeah. It was, it was the, like the worst stomach bug I think I've ever had. Like, Damn. Like maybe since like childhood. Like full norovirus vibes? I don't even Did know. anyone else get it? No. I mean, a couple of people in the office said that they had felt really nauseous, but like no one got as sick as so I did. Was it food poisoning? I don't know. Interesting. They like, they didn't really like... Figure it out. I went to the, I literally had to get like an IV drip though. It was like, Damn. yeah, it was really bad. Oh God. But yesterday I have this, my like best friend from college. She is like a very much a globe trotting gal. Like her offices are based in London. She works for Meta. So like they oh, fly cool. her back and forth a lot and she's just been gone for a long time and she is back. So we had a very romantic dinner together I last night. That. It was so nice. I do you do you do you have those friendships that are like romantic friendships where you kind of just like to like go out just the two of you and like kind of like wine and dine each other? Um no. Huh. I have friendships where we like love to go out for nice meals, but I wouldn't say there's a romanticness to them. When I go out with her, we like I'm like, look good for me. Like, we get dressed up for each other and we like, oh, look cute that's for each nice. Other. We've always been like that with each other. We like, we I like, like to make that. it feel special. Like, it's like a date night. <laughs> oh, I love that. It's fun. So, yeah, we went out to this French restaurant called French Louis in Brooklyn. I've heard about it. It's really good. Where um, in Brooklyn is it? It's in um, Borham Hill. Cute. Yeah. She just moved in into that neighborhood. Oh, is that the yellow place on the corner? It's like yellow with red trim. I don't know what it looked like on the outside. Okay. I don't remember. But the lighting inside was really impeccable. Okay. I um, love that. I feel like French restaurants always have the best, like, warm lighting inside of them. I mean, that's, you know like, the mean? kind of a stereotype, you know? Yeah, it's the best. Anyway, it was very it was very sweet. We shared a ton of appetizers and things. The French fries were incredible. I love that. We had a lot of Beaujolais, and it was great. I love that. I took myself on a solo date to Bernie's. When? This past weekend. Before I left for the tour. Okay, and? It was incredible. I got the chicken piccata. <laughs> it's underrated. It was very, very good. What do you normally get there? I feel like you get it the depends. burger. The thing about going to Bernie's alone that's hard is that it's like you kind of need two items. Like, I don't know. It was like I wanted to try to get more than one thing, but you can't really get two items there because everything's so big. So I just mm. got the piccata. But normally, I almost never get the burger. I should have gotten the burger is what I should have done. 
Um, I like literally every single thing on that menu, except for I've never had the shrimp cocktail because I'm allergic, but I've had every other thing. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, I potentially, I mean, I'll try it there. They would hate that. Oh my God. Um, no, but I, um, I like everything on that menu, so I'm not picky. I think at some point when like things settle down and uh, like the stars are more aligned and everything, like I kind of want you and I to go to an emergency room with a bucket of shrimp <laughs> and just kind of sit there and see what happens. And then if we but need I don't, to- can I just say that? Like, it's never like, I'm never like, God, I wish I could get that. Like, it's never, Yeah. even when like I was out to dinner with a group of friends the other night. And they all were like freaking out about getting the shrimp cocktail. And I was like, yeah, get the shrimp cocktail. Shrimp cocktail and it was, is so disgusting. And I was watching them eat it and I was like, I have no desire. Like I'm not even the slightest bum that I can't eat that. No. The only time I, I really like shrimp is when it's tempura, but I would literally eat like anything tempura. Yeah, it's like get the sweet potato. I don't know. Yeah. If like, if clams became an issue, like I can have like leaning clams. We'd ha- I'd be like, let's get the shots going. We're like fixing that. I'm not saying allergic to shellfish, but if it's just shrimp, I'm li- I'm literally fine. Like it's no issue. Yeah, shrimp is like the worst shellfish. You're good. Yeah, and when people disagree with that, I'm like, I don't. It's just, you're wrong. It is the worst shellfish. Yeah. Yeah. All right, then we're, maybe we won't do that. I just don't feel a need. It feels like too much of a rigmarole. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, my my mom had a similar thing. Like it was later in life for her, and she found out she was allergic to shrimp by like, like she just was out eating shrimp and had to go to the ER, but she like wouldn't accept that it was an allergy. She was like, it was a fluke. So then- it's like not how bodies work. Right, of course. And so I am I remember I'm in elementary school and my mom picks me up from school oh and I God. get in the car and I was like, mom, what happened to your face? And she like pulls down the little like mirror thing in the car and she was like, okay, so I'm gonna drive myself to the emergency room and I'm gonna call dad and he's gonna come get you. Oh my God. <laughs> so she didn't like, nope, I was having a po-, a po' boy for lunch. I don't even know what she, she must've been like a shrimp salad or something. And um, there's no way my, my mom made a po' boy. <laughs> I just can't picture that. Um, but yeah. That was that was the last time she had shrimp, I think. Damn, that's scary. <laughs> People need to take their allergies seriously. That's not okay. I know. I have a friend who's like deathly allergic to peanut butter and like never remembers. That's crazy. It's insane. She could die. She almost did. Like that's multiple not times. Okay. I know. Anyway, I say like I'm when just, type B people have allergies, it's tough. <laughs> yeah, that's like it's like God really set you up for death there. It's like you need to give that shit to the type A people. <laughs> Totally. Those people can handle it. Yeah, that's so funny. Um, do you have any fun restaurant plans on the horizon? Um, well, I'm going this weekend to Florida. Um, Blake and I are Gorge. just like going to get some sun. So I'm really the most excited for like my beachside beverages that I'm going to be having. I love that. I'm going to find f- frozen beverages. Oh. I just like want to feel tropical for a minute. Yeah, that's gonna be nice. What's and your beach side? Which what frozen drink is your favorite frozen drink? We're um, doing a margs, we're doing pina, we're doing daiquiri. I think I'm gonna go strawberry daiquiri first. Respect. Oh, a good one. Um, second place, I would do a pina colada, but like I only really want half. So I yeah. would like share it maybe. Yeah. And then a frozen margarita is always great, but. If they have like different flavors of daiquiris, like if they have a mango one. Like- I think a daiquiri is ultimately the winner of the frozen drinks. I think it just is. Yeah. I went through, when I went to Vegas, this was like in 2018, I think. We went to Vegas to see Gaga. I drank so many frozen drinks that I remember like I got halfway through one on the last day and I was like, I don't think I'm ever going to drink one of these again. I don't think I drank a frozen drink for like years at that point. I've had them since. but Yeah. Frozen drinks are like, the first half is like the best thing you've ever had. And then like the second half, it's like melt 
salty and, and like you sugary. There has to be so much sugar for it. People don't realize that like there you have to like there's actually like a math and a science to like making them because there has to be a certain amount of sugar to like make them freeze at the right level. Yeah. And it's like actually like a, it's a very large amount of sugar. Yeah. And it doesn't taste as sweet when it's like, like Cold. super frozen. Yeah. So anyway, isn't that crazy that it's like, that shit's always crazy where it's like, okay, Things don't taste as sweet when they're cold. So people want an ice cold Diet Coke because they think it tastes better, but it's like actually just, it's too sweet. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that is weird. So you just make it, but I guess like the sensation of being it being cold is I nice. feel like things that are really cold, it's more just like it tastes less like anything. Like think about like a ice cold martini, like as it gets to room temperature. But is that the same as like an ice cold Sprite? I don't know. Yeah, I just think like when it, when something's like super super cold, you like taste the cold more than the thing. I guess I hear. Do what I sound like an idiot? You know what I am like? What does being cold actually do to the flavor of the beverage? I don't know. Like, I do, is it like we need a it, scientist? Like, in does here. it make it more or less? Fla- I guess it makes it less flavorful. I think so. No, but it's like <laughs> for wine, it does. Yeah, like if you think about like if you chill a red wine. You're not gonna get all the like aromas and stuff. Interesting. But then, what does it? This is okay. We need to get a scientist on this podcast <laughs> to talk about it because it's like there are Our things next guest that you is can. Be a but it's like also there are things you can taste. Like I guess like because like, like if you're thinking about like a martini, like there's you can taste like notes in the gin that if you were to drink it like hot, you wouldn't get like the burn and like the it would be too intense to like actually taste like the juniper or the lemon peel or like the fur branch or whatever the fuck is in it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like if you were to just drink like room temperature gin, it would like be burning and be like, you know, and then like. Yeah. But like, that's how we always taste like in our offices for our, like our spirits tastings. Like we would never taste our spirits chilled because it would like tone down. I guess that's true. All the different elements that you'd be like smelling and tasting. So it's like you want those tastes, but you want to taste less of them and have it be cold. Yeah. Okay. Like, I feel like that's why people put their vodka in the freezer. No, I know that. Yeah. As it comes up to room temperature, you're supposed to be enjoying something that has less aroma or less intensity. And as it comes to room temperature, it starts to gradually become more intense and you can enjoy it more. That's what happens with wine and gin and stuff like that. Interesting. For Sprite, Sprite, I have no idea. I only know this from wine. Okay. Yeah, and I wonder if it being carbonated affects it because it probably affects the bubble. Probably. Whether or not it's cold. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because you want to savor, you can always, you want to savor sparkling wine when it's, when it's extremely super, cold. super cold. Because it's closed up a little bit. The warmer it is, the. <laughs> I don't understand what I did. Okay, we're going to do this. There we go. Okay. <laughs> that was crazy. Right, because you want sparkling wine cold. I knew that. That's it's all I know. so hot in here. <laughs> it is? It's hot in here. You guys have been in here longer. Yeah. Than me. Oh my God. Okay, um, well, what about you? Do you have any exciting drinking plans? Well, I have my warm show on or s- cold beverages in the future? I have my show on Saturday. I think there's a slight chance I'm going to go check out Sunken Harbor Club on Sunday. Cool. Which is the bar above Gage and Tolner. Mm-hmm. But that has not been confirmed. But I'm going to go out for drinks somewhere on Sunday. Fun. Um, yeah, this past weekend I had I was I had two different experiences where I was hanging out at a friend's house and then they were just like, should we have a cocktail? And they like opened their gorgeous home bars and like we had cocktails and I was like, wow, the home bar is really a moment. Actually, three times because we did that last night in Philly too. Ooh. Just a big. I mean, I think like a big thing in winter is like invest in the home bar, get some nice glassware, get some nice things, get some big ice. Yeah. Wait, what did they make you? 
I mean, it's always stirred drinks, I feel like. So it's like Old Fashions, Negronis, um, Boulevardiers. Nice. Yeah, you know? And my friend, this is a pro move. This is very Vermont of us, but it was um, <laughs> like, you don't, have to make, you don't have to make simple syrup. You can just use maple syrup for an old fashioned. Ooh, I bet that sounds, I bet that tastes like really like seasonally appropriate. It's really, too. really nice. It doesn't, it's the kind of thing where it doesn't like completely overpower it. Where like initially I wasn't like, oh, this is a maple old fashioned. I was like drinking, I was like, this is a good old fashioned. And then I looked over and saw the bottle of maple syrup and I was like, oh, is this maple? And she was like, yeah. And I was like, that's Genius. a clutch move. I, um, once I learned how easy it is to make simple syrup, I was like, why would I ever buy it? It's literally sugar and water. Yeah, buying maple syrup or buying simple syrup is crazy. It's two ingredients. Yeah. I, I, I guess I just never thought, I had never thought about it. Like yeah. you're just like at the liquor store and you're like getting all the things you need and it's like, oh, there's this bottle of sugar water, sure, whatever. And then yeah, I- Yeah, that's a scam. Of yeah, that's a very, it's it's always a scam. And also if you, you want- You can literally make it in the microwave if you want to. Yeah, and also if you want to have a flavored simple syrup, just literally put anything in it when you simmer it. So Like true. put a vanilla pot in it, put in lavender, put in tea. Tea's a good one, like Earl Grey. Yum. You make an Earl Grey simple syrup. I think I literally stole that from Spirited LA when she did this episode of the show. <laughs> I think she gave that idea. Um, but it's so true. Or like blueberries, strawberries, like anything. I love it's that. It's so good. I need to use my home bar more. I have so many good bottles that, that I have gotten sent by lovely brands. It's just so chic to be like, come over to my place for a drink. Like even before you go out, just like start the night. I think it's very chic. It is. Um, especially like it makes, I think it makes it less depressing <laughs> that it's cold earlier. Like being like, come over at four for a drink. Or not cold, dark. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Instead of being out and being like, oh, it's dark already, being like, well, we'll start the night early in the house because it's like dark already. Do you know what yeah. I mean? It's I like mean, a positive spin on a sad thing. I'm very like down for like starting the night or st starting the night earlier. Yeah, wrapping up earlier. earlier. Yeah, let's be in bed by 1130. I Nothing love it. Wrong. I love that. Especially when it's super cold out. Yeah. I feel like all of these are very fiscally responsible decisions, which <gasps> very much ties into this week's episode. Look at us. Um, this episode is a really good one. I think it kind of veers in a very fun direction away from things we talk about sometimes. Or not, we talk about restaurants and we talk about bars, but we talk about a different side of it in a very fun way. And I love this guest because she is very opinionated and really kind of very clearly says what she thinks. And I agree with pretty much everything she says. Um, she is a writer um, and she has, she's the one of the founders of an incredible company. She is the, an author. Um, you may know her from The Financial Diet or from Instagram. Um, she is a friend of mine. She is so, so, like, she's such an interesting person, such a cool person. I really enjoyed this episode. Please enjoy me going out with Chelsea Fagan. You can talk about it as much you want, honestly. Thank you so much for doing the show. Oh my God, thank you for having me. I feel like now I'm like, I'm not quite pivoted enough towards you. Ooh. Oh no, it's totally fine. And then you can just pull the mic like right to you and then you're good. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's easier. Oh, that's perfect. Yeah. Um, I'm so excited to have you on. Are we recording? Okay, gorgeous. Um, I was so excited to have you on because you are someone who I've gone out with a good handful of times, Ooh. but we have a mutual friend. We have a very close mutual friend. Ooh. Sounds uh, like we're in a throuple. <laughs> Considering you work with her, I think that's yeah. definitely not the case. <laughs> no, I hope not. I would hope not. Um, but I, um, so obviously you, you are the found, one of the founders and creators of the financial diet. Correct. Personal finance is like a huge part of your conversation. And I think Correct. that's a huge part of the conversation of going out and restaurants and bars and nightlife that gets 
skipped in uh, at, on this show at least. We're constantly talking about like right. the place to go, and I don't want to exclusively talk about that. I do want to talk about the fun stuff and where you like to go and how you sure. like to go out. Um, because you also have incredible taste and oh. you go to France a lot and it looks Thank so nice. You. I do. <laughs> but I'm, I also think I, as someone who identifies as being bad with money mm. and most of that bad with money goes to like nightlife and stuff. I'm, I want to pick your brain about your relationship because I know you like going out. I do. Yeah. You do like a dining out. And I think that that's nice because I do think, and I know you combat this a lot in the financial diet because I am a consumer of it. Like, Growing up, I feel like we were just taught like, oh, going out isn't something you should do unless you're rich. Like, yeah. And that there was, it was like a very black and white conversation. And there was no nuance. Mm -hmm. What was your relationship to going out when you were young? My, I, we, my family didn't have really any money growing yeah. up. So I feel like I can count the number of restaurant, like real restaurant memories that I have before the age of 10, 12 on one hand. And it was always a very big thing. And, you know, we're talking still about, you know, chain restaurants, Apple nothing, yeah, yeah, like Outback, nothing super fancy, but it was, and it wasn't just a question of not necessarily having the money for it. It was also like, this isn't really a place for a child. Like, you know, with very rare exception, like if we're going to be spending the money and taking the time to go out, it's going to be for mom and dad to have a moment together. Yeah. And I do still, you know, even all these years later, you know, having a very different socioeconomic status, going out quite a bit myself, I still feel very not great when I am in, like I've been to, you know, multiple Michelin starred restaurants where there's like children on iPads at the yeah. table. And I do think, I mean, obviously a lot of that is living in New York city, but I do still, it's one of the things that I really struggle with not feeling judgmental and resentful towards is <laughs> children who I think are, because for the record, it's not even that I think, like, I feel very grateful that I did not have those things growing up because for me, still to this day, every sort of indulgent experience is mind boggling. It's so wonderful. Whereas for these kids, I feel like they're burning out all of their Sitting like their pleasure receptors by the age of 12. Damn, that's such a good argument that I never even thought of. Cause I am also very anti children in fancy restaurants. Like, what are they doing there? What are they doing? They there? don't even want the food. Like, they don't want to eat this. I know. I think the same about, and this one's a little bit of a different conversation because it's like, but like, I have had the fortune of recently flying first class a few times. Mm. And there's a lot of children in first class because like sure. rich families fly together. And I just, I obviously I'm not expecting you to put your kids in a different part of the plane than you. Like, that's crazy. But I do similarly think like, damn, if you fly first by the age of five, like, where do you go? Uh, down. And <laughs> down. you know, it's funny. One of my uh, good friends who also works in the personal finance industry, she grew up, she's very candid about it. She grew up very, very wealthy. She lived uh, in different countries in Asia growing up and exclusively flew business or first class with her family growing up. Mm. And since becoming an adult and supporting herself, she flies coach. Yeah. You know, she's all about like, you know, gaming miles and stuff. So when she can, she upgrades herself. But for the most part, she flies coach. And she was like, and her husband grew up very, you know, working middle class. So for him just flying anywhere was like awesome. Um, and she was like, it, it, was a, it was a rough downgrade when I was a young adult. And I was like, oof, I have to be... This is what it's like. <laughs> yeah, like you don't have bathroom access. Like there is limited bathroom access. Yeah, and it's, you know, very unpleasant, especially for longer flights. But I do think that that is something, I think you're really taking something away from a child when you're giving them such a level of luxury because, and she's talked about it before herself. Like she was like, I feel like I was set up to have tastes and expectations that are not realistic for me to be able to achieve on my own. And if I didn't grow up that way, I wouldn't have ever missed them. 
Damn, that's so real. That's such a, <laughs> that's also just such a um, really convenient way for me to have a morally sound argument against why kids shouldn't be in restaurants. Yes. No, <laughs> because I also thing. just don't want them there. I know you work, you have worked a lot of service industry jobs, yeah. as have I. I have worked very nice restaurants where I was serving children at the tables. Yeah. And this was like slightly pre all the kids having iPads in their hand, but like even still, it was like, you know, gaming systems or whatever. Game and, boys, yeah. And I was just like, I know if you can afford this child's meal at this restaurant, you could afford a babysitter. 100%. Not only is this child not, they are not enjoying this menu. No. They're not enjoying this restaurant experience. They have to be quiet. They have to wear clothes they don't want to wear. It's also detracting from your experience of this restaurant. What are we doing here? 100%. What are we doing here? A good friend of mine who I I won't name just for sake of this. I don't want to drum up this issue for her again, but she got married last year and she tweeted like, I'm not like she wrote a joke about it. She was like, but she basically just made a joke on Twitter, but it was serious. Like she, she had a kid free wedding. Kids were not invited to her wedding. The amount of hate she received on the internet, like she had to go private on Twitter. She had to delete the tweet. People were like, people like it, it heightened to the point where someone accused her of being a child murderer. Like for, (laughs) and it's like, it's like, I don't want to go to a wedding with kids in it, personally. Yeah. Or like, if but if, I, if I have the vote, I'm going to say no kids. Right. And I think that should be, and I think it's also like, maybe you have part with kids and part without. Like, I, Ceremony, I don't give a shit if the kids are there. Yeah, have them. But I also feel like there's, I, I understand that in, you know, it shouldn't be exclusionary. And I do understand that organizing childcare can be very difficult for people. But I also feel like we've really gotten away from the idea with weddings that, you know, increasingly people are getting married later. They're paying for their own weddings. Yeah. They're having the event that they want to have. And I think it, you know, there should be a right to say, hey, I, I can't attend the wedding in that case. Um, mm-hmm. I might have to pass and just, you know, send a gift or what have you. But if this person is paying for their own wedding and they're throwing a, you know, on average, what, like twenty, thirty thousand $30,000 party, depending on what part of the country you live in, yeah. you should be able to have the party that you want to have. A hundred percent. And just on the note of exclusionary, we, when we're talking about the restaurants, and disagree with me if you disagree. I'm not, we are very, I'm very specifically talking about like expensive high-end restaurants. Oh, of course. At, a, at an Outback Steakhouse, bring your kids. I know what I'm signing up yes. for. And if you are in a situation, like, and that's my point. Like if you're in a situation where you're like, you have kids and you can't afford a babysitter, but you can't afford to go out to dinner with them for whatever, like, I don't know the breakdown of that, but like, I want you to have your night out. But if you can afford to go to per se, you yes. can afford the babysitter and I don't want to see your fucking kid there. Right. I'm specifically <laughs> referring to like my husband and I went to uh, a, re- a restaurant similar to Per Se for an anniversary in New York City. And there was a table and he's more into that stuff than I am. I'm really not like I like a, you know, a certain caliber of restaurant, but there are very diminishing returns for me after a certain level. A tasting menu like that is tough. I don't have much. Interest. I like go and get a burger after I'm like, this is. Yeah. Yeah. But and I also just don't feel that I have quite a refined enough palate to really appreciate it. My husband, much more so. He loves it. That's more for him. But we're at this table. This is something we've been looking forward to for six months at least. Yeah. Across the table or across the aisle from us is a table with um, a man, a businessman looking type who probably comes here for lunch regularly and his probably 10 year old son who's in a jacket because it, it was jacket dining room required eating the tasting menu, but barely flicking through an iPad and first of all, I'm sorry, but if this is my restaurant, you don't get to flick through an iPad. At the I don't table. want blue light. I it don't d- want blue light in the room. I, I, when I tell you, it really, in, to some extent, ruined my meal. I was like, <laughs> I'm serious. No, I'm, not, I'm laughing because it's like, I, I get it. it. And this is like, this is something that 
you know, I do think that there is, and this is inevitable, right? Like there's massive wealth inequality, like by definition, luxury products are going to be primarily consumed by a class of people for whom this isn't special, for whom they can afford to do it all the time. God, I do so much work to not think about that because it's so depressing. <laughs> it is. And so, it's so depressing. Did you read that article recently about the woman who went to um, Capri and hated it? Yes. Right, it was Positano and hated it. Although, you know, kind of six, half dozen. Um, but- it was so well put because it was like we've through social media, we're all exposed to this specific jet set vacation image of Positano mm-hmm. that is, you know, essentially based on it is a luxury vacation destination that for most of human history was really only accessible to an extreme elite of society. But now everyone can go, but you can't get the really good version. You're not staying in the Hotel Serenos or whatever the really nice one is there. You're staying at some moderate hotel or you're staying you know, offsite or in an Airbnb or what have you. And you're going to these restaurants that are sort of mid to, you know, upper tier and barely being able to afford to eat the things on the menu and getting to sort of be in proximity to people for whom yeah. this is just another stop. So it's it's a very strange thing where luxury, especially in hospitality and food and beverage is more accessible to more people than ever, tourism as well. Um, but because it can't scale infinitely, everyone's just getting a like kind of crappy version of it while the people for whom, uh, you know, a two Michelin starred restaurant is just another business lunch, um, they're, they've probably already moved on to another place. Absolutely. I mean, like, absolutely. And that's why I'm like, I mean, I usually talk about it in terms of restaurants in New York, but I think it, it's probably true of vacation destinations. You and like Holly and like you guys travel much more than I do. Mm-hmm. Just like, I think out of like, priority. Like it's just, I'm much more of like a stay in my city and go out a lot than like do big trips at this point in my life. But I think what I always say about like restaurants is like the place that you really love to go to that is special for the reasons you have personally is always going to be more special than the place that has become Positano or whatever that's already like popular. Because like by the time you go to the restaurant that like is the hottest place in town, it's whatever was like made it special is probably been blown out of the water by its need to scale out. Right. Because of its popularity. Exactly. And I think that's probably true of like, I've never been to and I'll never go now because I know for a fact it's, you know, too blown out. We should probably bleep that. I made a rule that I'm not like going to disparage restaurants on the podcast, but um, <laughs> they'll, they'll know what I meant. But like, I would venture to guess maybe when it first opened, it was actually something really, really phenomenal. But now they have to accommodate the fact that the rest, the dining room is booked out. You Like it it has to accommodate something bigger than what it was. And it can't be that special intimate thing that it used to be. Do you know what I mean? Oh, it's a thousand percent. I, my biggest pet peeve in this, and I, can I, can I say an, an actual name? Because, Absolutely. okay. So my, someone once said to me that like, what I love in this life is like a continental dining experience. And I truly, nothing to me is better than like, when there's like a lobster Newberg on the menu, when there's like a table side something, like a table side Caesar, like a martini that comes with a little sidecar, like the, the theater warm nuts, you yeah. know, with your drink, like all of that stuff. So there are a few restaurants and bars in the city that kind of have that vibe that I really love. And obviously for people who like that experience specifically, hard to do better than Bemelman's, I, right? I literally knew you were about to say Bemelman's. I, I, <laughs> when I tell you, so I'm, listen, I, I'm not a super casual person in general in terms of presentation, <laughs> but I really do feel that there are very few places left that you can go in New York City where people are generally holding themselves to a reasonably nice standard for going out. It has been, and they've done like puff pieces on this, but like, car, you know, these sort of old school places have been inundated with you know, Gen Z, TikTok yeah. types. 
to me, seeing someone in a place like that with hand-painted wallpaper, with these exceptionally crafted drinks and beautiful piano music, to have someone next to me who's in a baseball cap and flip-flops playing on their phone is just, it so diminishes everything that is worth it about that. Because these drinks, it's a $25 cocktail. Yeah. It's not something you're going to go do every day. And so I do and think, the, yeah. And that twenty five dollars is in is, you're paying for that room and that experience. It's exactly. not the gin in the glass. It's an, you know what I mean. It's not the lemon. It's it's partly that, but it's it's the theater. We I talked about this when Ashley Gavin was on the podcast. We talked about this so much. Like this idea of like whenever you're stepping into like a bar or a restaurant or a vacation experience, whatever it is, like it's theatrical. There's like a there's a tone to it. There's right. an energy, and I do think it is like in your best interest of enjoying the thing, and also like out of respect for everyone else trying to enjoy the thing you have to step up to the plate and show up to what that is. And that doesn't mean conform. Like that doesn't mean like wash away any sort of like identity or diversity you have to do this. But like, what is, I always say like, what is your version of nice? Do you know what of I mean? Of putting in an effort. Of putting in an effort. And like, I think we can all agree and we all know how I feel about flip-flops in New York and it's bad. But like- It's bad. <laughs> it's bad. And that's why, I mean, you know, I, this is why I just, LA is not my people um, because I've- you know, every place I've ever been to in Los Angeles, no matter how nice it is, like the men there look like they just walked in <laughs> from bed. Like yeah. they, there's just very little. And I understand that for a lot of people, I think that there's this very strange, we're in a very strange relationship with like authenticity and, you know, you don't want to seem to be trying too hard. And I think a lot of times what gets lost is this idea that Ultimately, society is a contract. And when we're having, like you said, when you're entering the theater, when you're entering a special moment, it doesn't make it less authentically you to rise to the occasion of that moment. Because at the end of the day, it's not like you're in your home. You're choosing to go to a third location where you're spending $100 yeah. for a yeah. few hours to, to get a couple drinks or what have you. And that, to me, I think the idea that, you know, it's somehow an affront to ask us all to put in a little effort and be a little special um, or that it diminishes our authenticity. Because like you said, your version of special can be very different. Yeah. And like we're, the places we're talking about, the places we're talking about, the ability to go there in theory is indicative of an inability to have at least some time and effort to put into it. Do you know what I mean? Of course. And that's like what we're talking about. And it's like, and I want it. And it's like, I think what you were just saying about what did you say? Like we have an interesting relationship with authenticity. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, and the idea, I think, yeah, I think sometimes what can get written off is like, Oh, well it's like oppressive to have like a high, like a, like not, I don't want to say dress code, but like standard of, of effort put in, I guess. Yeah. Or presentation. Presentation. And it's like, I think it's like, we're not talking about like men have to wear this and women have to wear this or everyone has to wear this, but it's like, what is, can you just do something that elevates your personal self to like be feel like you really are showing out? I mean, yes. you're there to like, that's part of what you're going to do is like show out and like dress nice and like look great and like be part of this special room. I totally agree. And I, you know, it's funny. I, I was having this conversation recently with a friend where we both changed socioeconomic status and um, becoming adults. I, like I said, I, we really grew up not wealthy at all. My parents are more middle-class now, but when we were growing up, we were very working class, lower middle-class, um, you know, uh, everything that goes along with it. And I always had, I think as all kids do to some extent, but especially if you grow up not having a lot, a very clear idea in my head of what rich people were like. 
yeah. and what rich person life was like. And it did used to be that way to an extent. Like there did used to be, I think, much more kind of codified social norms around absolutely presentation, you know, and uh, dress codes and all of those things. Like so, high society, quote unquote. Yeah. Exactly. But I think we've now... And I've I've sort of felt disillusioned in the sense that, you know, I'm not a one percenter, but I definitely am in a very different socioeconomic uh, bracket than I was growing up. And I've realized that we're now, especially when you think about like the rise of the tech bro and the, you know, athleisure and all of these things, we've now come to this very strange moment where wealthy people want, and there's actually really interesting sociological data around this, go out of their way to camouflage the fact that they're wealthy that not putting in effort is actually more of a class marker um, and that, you know, to be able to move in these spaces, to be able to go to, you know, a, an elite restaurant, let's say, or walk into a social club in a T-shirt, that in and it's of itself of is, is more powerful. And I think, you know, it's it's a little sad because I was like, I was hoping there would be like feathers and shit and like top hats, <laughs> you know? Do you think... In the way that like fashion, like, I wonder if it's cyclical. Like, do you know if it like, and I think it almost has to be because it is, we, it, it is ultimately like a social trend in a fashion, right? Yeah. Like, so I do think at some point, if everyone looks like fucking shit, the person who is showing up in a suit is going to start to stand out. Like, I do yes. wonder if like in 10 years it we're back. I would Maybe. personally, I don't know. I feel conflicted about it because I think I would never want it to go back to as traditional as it was necessarily because like I personally hate wearing a suit, mm. but I do. But they look so good. No, but I love dressing up, but yes. like the rules of like, it has to be this and it has to be tucked in. Yeah. Like that's tough. I don't always, I don't. And I, the thing is, I don't hate wearing a suit. I just dislike most suits that I've worn. Yes. Um, and by the way, I mean, a man can wear a great jacket and a great pair of slacks. Well, and the, they're not a suit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or like, I don't know. Like I have like a really fun, like I bought like, I like, one of the most expensive things I've ever bought for myself was like this Alexander McQueen, like bomber jacket that's like silk and like embroidered on the back. Mm. And it's like, I want to be able to wear that in a space that like, it's nice. It's like a very, it's like, it looks like a nice piece of thing. I want to be able to wear that in a place that maybe like 15 years ago would have been like suit only, but it's like, well, this is clearly me dressing up. Do you know what I mean? And I think that that's to me, I, so I'm not like for whatever it's worth, I'm not a label person. I don't really care yeah. about any of that stuff. I don't care about designer stuff. I, <laughs> This tiny dog is stretching. <laughs> For the listener, Penny Lane is sitting on a table between Chelsea and I, just looking perfect. Just amazing. <laughs> um, but, you know, I'm not into any of those things. And for what it's worth, I, so, you know, my mother, for example, made a lot of our clothes growing up um, and a lot of hers, you know, and my mother was always very, really instilled in us, you know, you may not have a lot. But what you can have is manners. What you can have is putting in an effort. What you can have is um, personal style, all of these things. And, you know, she made most of our clothes because it was much less expensive than going out and buying yeah. them. And I think for me, I think some of the most chic and attractive people I've ever seen are people who probably aren't wearing anything super fancy. Maybe all this stuff is secondhand, you know, yeah. or maybe they made it themselves. And I think that what is really being kind of out of what has fallen out of fashion is the idea of giving a shit of like putting an effort of, of almost looking like you're trying too hard by trying at all. Yeah. And I will say like, I don't know. I think of, I'm thinking of all the different function I've gone, I've gone to with you times. I've like been at a party with you or a wedding or whatever. And like, you are consistently one of the best dressed people at Thank the you. event. This is very sweet. So consistently <laughs> and never in a way. And, but to your point, 
I think what I love about it whenever I see you out is I know that it's because you care about it, not to impress anyone. Like it's never, it, I've never been like, look at Chelsea. She's trying so hard. Do you know what I mean? Like, Thank you. I just think you, I'm like, damn, like Chelsea just really fucking does it. Like you always, like, nice. I don't know. You look, you just, you always look, even today, like you're, I mean, like you showed up and I was like, oh, she just always has a look on and like, it's, and it's authentic and it's, and you put in the effort and I think it's really beautiful. Well, thank you. Um, and it makes so much sense to have the context of it. What was your, I'm so, okay. So like, how did you, what was, as someone, like you mentioned, you changed socioeconomic statuses. You went from being someone who grew up not going to restaurants at all, really, to now living in New York, we like going out, whatever. Like in terms of like, when you started, like, how do I want to word this question? What was your initial reaction when you started like spending money on going out? Was it like hard for you to do it? Were you like, was it like hard for you to bring yourself to go to a nice restaurant? Cause you're like, this is too expensive. It's not worth it. Or was it the opposite? Like what was your, no, first? <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, the reason I started the financial diet is because I had gotten myself into terrible credit card debt. Okay. Um, and because I had a, generally when people grow up not having a lot financially or not having enough, they typically go one of two ways. They either become extremely, um, fearful of spending and very, 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 um, cheap with themselves, mm -hmm. um, often to their own detriment. Um, or they become, you know, it's like, uh, I can buy what I want. Like I, I can, you know, get this fake money on a credit card. I can go to the grocery store and no one's telling me I have to take this out of the cart, like all of that. And you spend, 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 which is what I did. So I got myself yeah, into You're yelling at me. Um, terrible <laughs> credit card debt. Um, yeah. yeah. And I had a completely atrocious relationship with money. Um, and a lot of it was from spending from, I always phrased it as spending to try to be a different person. Um, to be perceived in a certain way, to yeah. perceive myself in a certain way, to feel like I was moving. I also, for context, my adolescence, I lived in a town called Annapolis, Maryland, which is very affluent. We I was going to say really rich affluent. town. Yeah. Well, I always say that like, so when I was very young, I was poor in a poor neighborhood, suburb of Charlotte, North Carolina, where everyone was poor. Then I moved when we were more middle-class, when I was like a preteen, we moved to Annapolis, Maryland, where we were pretty middle-class but everyone around me was very wealthy. Yeah. And I felt way poorer then. I felt way poorer oh, sure. than people makes, around me. I wouldn't doubt that for a single second. And I worked at, uh, among many jobs, I worked at the Yacht Club, which is like a country club <laughs> for boats. <laughs> well, like literally you have to have a boat. No, yeah. Um, and it's very expensive. And so, you know, I would like regularly be working, you know, you know, bar mitzvahs where like Pitbull was flown in to do a performance and shit insane. like that, or like weddings that cost, you know, $250,000. Um, so, you know, for me, just the being able to go into, and, and the thing is that like the, the, the thing that's so dangerous about going out spending is that unlike it, it, as I was saying earlier, like it's still within reach of people who can't afford it. Do you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Like you can, you can still probably cobble together enough to go out and get a couple of drinks or get dinner with your friends. Whereas like even, you know, a certain piece of clothing is probably out of, out of reach. And also, especially with like going out, you know, uh, a $500 night is built by what, like how many, like $25 purchases exactly. in rapid succession. Or you weekends, know I mean? you know? Or yeah, a crazy, maybe a $500 night is a little more intense, but like, <laughs> but like, yeah, like a $500 weekend is 10 times being like, oh, it's 50 bucks, which like sure. is irresponsible, but like it could happen. Do you know what I mean? And it does. And it and does. It did for me. Yeah, absolutely. And so, and it's also interesting. I wonder, like you, the thing about the yacht, the yacht club, it reminded me, I was trying to like articulate this 
to a friend of mine because I worked, I worked in similar places when I first got to New York, really expensive, really fancy parties, really fancy lunches. And you're trained to be, you know, like pouring this really expensive wine, pouring this really fancy food. And like, you're kind of the, the, the psychology of it is like, okay, this wine is special because of X, Y, Z reasons. So this, and this codifies that this event has like meaning or importance because we're doing this nice thing. Sure. So then you go back to like throw your own birthday party and you're like, well, my birthday party is not as special if I just get Prosecco. Do you know what I mean? Oh, and then absolutely. that, is it like, and it's a scam. You're scamming yourself. Like, obviously yes. I do like, I love champagne. I drink it rarely, but I love it. Yeah. I would never buy like 10 bottles of champagne to make my birthday party more special at this point in my life fiscally. Do you know what 100%. I mean? But I, I think there was a period of time when I was younger and I was working where I was like, no, you have to get the nice thing. Even though I wildly couldn't afford it. Cause I was like, otherwise this thing isn't as meaningful because of like the brainwashing that was happening by working in like yacht club like spaces. And what's really interesting about that is that if you do, um, I used to be an au pair for a very, very wealthy couple um, who I'm still very good friends with the mother. She wasn't that much older than me. Um, divorced from that asshole. <laughs> um, but he was one of those very um, prototypical kind of, I don't know if he was like truly nouveau riche, but just one of those assholes that's like, he's got to have, you know, this car because this is the car that means success. Right, 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 right. Everyone's he, got the G-Wagon. I got to get the G-Wagon. If he's going to go to the restaurant, he is going to order champagne, you know, not <sighs> sparkling, whatever, blah, blah, blah. One time we were, uh, my husband and I, um, because after I stopped working for them, we kind of kept being friends and we would travel with them sometimes and I could go on a fucking two hour tangent about that. But they, one of the places we would go sometimes was their, um, their ski chalet, um, <laughs> in the Alps. And when I tell you that this group of assholes that was, at, it was, there were so many like aspects of it that were very Tom Ripley about like, what are we doing here? We're like 20 years younger than all these people, like whatever. Totally. But they were all the definition of, and it's not just any champagne, it's this champagne. I know that champagne is gauche and this, whatever, whatever. Or this year. Yeah. All that bullshit. So we did a blind test with them. And of these five, six men who all have, you know, monstrous net worths and buy all this stuff all the time, not a single one was able to identify a single one of the sparklings that they were tasting. Yeah. They don't know what they're buying. No. They literally have no clue what they're buying and it doesn't, but the thing is, it doesn't matter because like you said, it's not about the quality anymore. It's about what it, what that product means about you. Yeah. And I would say with that stuff, personally, I think in a way, it was almost never about the quality. Like, I think it is about a quality 100%. at a very, for a very short period of time. And then the second it becomes like French Bordeaux being about quality, it was probably exclusively about quality hundreds of years ago. Right. Once it becomes allocated to this thing that's like hard to get and status, it's over about quality. Like no one cares about it. Do you know what I mean? Yes. And I think that that is, in, I think that you could look at that as depressing, but I also think it's really freeing because then, it, then it, you exactly. have to then just decide like, what are the things I actually care about? Because if you, because there is quality in wine, there is, you can train yourself to learn how to like appreciate the different palette and have that experience. And then the money is worth it. If you decide that that's where you want to go, but don't just do it because that's not the path. You know what I mean? Uh, and I, and yes. you get to decide what is meaningful to you fiscally. Well, and I will say, I mean, between the yacht club and my extensive work as a nanny slash au pair for very rich families, 
all of whom are divorced now. Um, <laughs> literally, I've, I, I'm like, I don't know what kind of harbinger of doom I was, but it's like, you know, a hundred percent batting average. Um, <laughs> and working in these really nice restaurants and all this stuff. Like I didn't realize it at the time, but like for, and I, you know, interned, um, in DC at these like very kind of fancy pants cultural centers and stuff like that. Like I didn't realize it at the time, but my aspiration to live a certain lifestyle and especially, you know, not just financially, but in terms of culture, in terms of all these other things led me to work for really, really rich people. And without ever explicitly trying to, I just was constantly surrounding myself by them as their employee, essentially as their hired help. And I learned so much from those experiences that I've, you know, done videos about and written about in my, my books. And, but the one thing that I think it truly imparted on me beyond everything else was that, and the data backs this up for the most part, and there are exceptions that there are like the Ina gardens out there, but for the most part, really wealthy people are not really enjoying their money. They're not really even spending all that much time, you know, on activities where they even could be, they work, way more hours than the average person and then they need to. Um, they're, you know, often much more influenced by markers of status than of quality. Um, you know, they're they're inclined to spend on things uh, that keep them on a very, very tight hamster wheel of lifestyle inflation. It, it was almost never, not never, but very, very rare that I was coming in contact with people who were very rich and living very fruitfully with that money, like really enjoying the shit out of their money, eating great food because it was what they loved, having the people they loved the most around them, you know, interacting wow. with their community. Like it, very rarely was that the case. And and again, like the data really does back that up on a lot of different fronts. Like people talk about how money doesn't buy happiness, which is a complete myth. I mean, I it does that. to a certain extent, <laughs> yeah. but what is true is that past a certain point of wealth, people do get unhappier and it's not random. It's because they're very isolated socially from other classes. They're pretty much only socializing with other people who reinforce that pressure. Yeah. They're working way more than they need to, and they're not spending quality time with people they love. Yeah. It, I, it, it's so real. It's so wild. I was looking at a fashion brand. My, um, I was looking, my friend works for a, a, in the same building as a very luxury fashion house brand. And I was looking at, but not even like a, not even like, I'll just say it. It's the row. And I was looking at their website and I was like, I was like kind of marveling at the, like, I think it's fucked up, but I was like the genius of it. I was like, they saw the market of someone who um, needs to have a, a, like needs to have a $3,000 sweater in the sense that they, they need their, the money they like a, a $3,000 sweater existing makes the amount of money they have make a little more sense right? and derive a little bit more joy of like, Oh, I get to go shopping for this sweater. Do you know what I mean? The most egregious in that specific niche is Brunello Cuccinelli. I've never even, with? no. So Brunello Cuccinelli is, I have a person in my life that I can't be any more specific about. Who's like the definition of the, you know, what's that phrase, an idiot and his money are not long for this world or whatever. Like someone who's the definition of who they're targeting. When I say this is a place where it's like $6,000 
pants or whatever, but it looks like something you bought at like Ann Taylor loft. Like <laughs> it very intentionally looks like just like some random ass cardigan that like, you know, a, a dentist would wear. like, and I don't mean that derogatorily, but I just mean there is absolutely You're nothing paying, about like, it. You're paying like emperor money for like a casual dad. And it's not even cool. It's not even like the row where you're like sort of like one of those cool fashion girlies. It is truly just the most dreary ass suburban ass <laughs> clothes. Sorry. I don't want to say suburban negatively, but I can't, you have to look at these clothes because <laughs> there's something about Pause it. Pause the podcast. Google it. Google Brunello Cuccinelli. And like, you really look at that and you're like, oh, you are targeting, like, you're targeting mental illness at this point. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, just, like, the need to, no, but that's the thing. It's, like, the need to spend. Like, the need to, like, like, I think it, it, if you have, I don't know, like, if you have, like, $30 million sitting in a checking account and you're buying, like, you buy every single thing on Gap.com and it comes out to, like, a fraction of that. Do you know what I mean? You probably yes. feel crazy. But, like, if you, you know, rack up, 40 grand buying stuff. You're like, wow, how fortunate I have this money that I can afford to do this and buy these things that matter more. But it's like, and you get to you're getting scammed. And like you said, I mean, it, it gives a reason for you to have it. Yes. There's something to spend it on. And I, you know, I think there's something to be said for the fact that like a lot of the designers that we think about when we think of designer and luxury clothing are not necessarily the clothing that the super wealthy are wearing. They are wearing things more like Brunello Cuccinelli or, or the Row, or, you know, maybe one of the super, super elite lines from like Ralph Lauren and things like, I mean, things that are, I mean, above all, again, subtlety, discretion. Yeah. You want to like, no one knows how rich I am. I'm just one of the normals, whatever, whatever. Um, and I think sometimes people can kind of use that as a reason why it's so silly to want, you know, a, you know, a Hermes belt buckle or, you know, a, a, an iconic bag or what have you. But I actually feel the opposite. I feel like I, I'm, again, personally not a, a designer girly. I, I don't really care for labels. I don't like that stuff. But if you're going to buy something where for what it, for, for you, it's a symbol of achievement, it's a symbol of Absolutely. whatever, at least it's fucking special. At yeah. least it's something that you can identify as being outside of your normal rotation as opposed to going out of your way to spend insane sums of money to, to gaslight people into thinking you didn't. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Like buying $10,000 jeans that have holes in them. Like it's, it, that's deranged. It's absolutely deranged. So how do you, okay. So how do you, like, I, I, I don't want to paint in too broad of strokes, but I think that like, if I'm sure I'm, when you tell people that you work in the personal fine, was that the dog's body that made that sound? <laughs> No. Oh, it was this pipe. I truly was like, it's Penny Lane, okay? Okay. She's so sweet. She's perfect. I like I think if if you were to brought paint like a stereotypical broad picture of like someone who runs a I'm sorry, she's like giving full <laughs> She's fully just flashing the camera. <laughs> she is painting she's you are very painting her like one of your French, French girls. girls. Very it's giving rose. That's oh. so funny. <laughs> Sorry, continue. No, it's fine. Empowered woman. <laughs> she is. All right, this is for the OnlyFans. Absolutely, part of this is for the this is Patreon. We're showing a Patreon for Penny Lane's undercarriage. Um, <laughs> like, I think if someone were to like make a very stereotypical, un like unresearched guess of like what do you think the life and aesthetic of like a personal finance person looks like, they would probably picture someone who's like really like 
type A and doesn't dress. You know what I mean? It would probably be like very like dreary, dreary, dreary. Yeah. And like, I don't know, like Angela from the office or something like that. Like, yes, very, that. and there are a lot of those in my industry. I'm sure. Let me tell you. <laughs> But I would, I've never thought of you as someone like that. Thank you, nor I. How do you, how did you, and you, like you mentioned, you used to have a very unhealthy relationship with money. You used Correct. to be like maybe bad with money. How did you, what was the process of like building a healthy relationship with money and a responsible relationship with money while still having a relationship with going out, dressing up, mm-hmm. going out for cocktails, going to nice restaurants? Like what, how has that, I'm sure it was not easy or quick. No. Um, I think the most important sort of mental shift that I made, especially as a woman, because I definitely came of professional age in the peak girl boss nonsense. Absolutely. Yeah. And sorry, just for context, what age were you when this change was happening in your life? Uh, late you know 20s. Late 20s. Okay, cool. Like after starting TFD was when I really sort of went in earnest, like I have to live a holistic life financially that supports the kind of life that I want to live. Because okay. I I do love, I mean, I love to cook. I love to go out. I love to, I love home decor. I love all of these things. And I, they're all important to me and I didn't want to give them up, but I also knew that I had to do so in such a way that I would um, not be sabotaging myself financially, Absolutely. which is, has always been my problem. The thing about the girl boss and even to some extent, the second wave feminism there was so much bad about it, but one of the most insidious things, and even if we want to get into like the sex in the city kind of stuff is really teaching women that they could have it all in any capacity um, or that it was aspirational to do so. And I think the most important shift that I made was that you absolutely cannot have it all. No person can. Um, And again, especially working for so many very upwardly mobile women who were trying to have it all and who, when I tell you, we're talking about women who were probably taking in over half a million dollars a year and living paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. And when you say have it all, what do you mean? To be able to, in the case of women's empowerment, as fragile as that definition of it was, it usually meant something like a woman who is a mother who is a career woman who is very into physical fitness who's um aspirational in terms of her personal presentation who's beautiful who's put together who is i mean the paradigms that you see on a show like sex in the city and when i saw woman after woman up close who was attempting to be that and who had an army of domestic workers often including myself um and who were still failing at at least one, if not multiple of those different fronts at any given time, because we're also talking about, you know, an, an, an ideal of aspiration that includes, for example, being quite thin, being, you know, having limitless energy, having a very robust social life while also being a mom all the time, which is like only so many hours in a day, girl, like it's not going to happen. Yeah. The biggest choice that I made was I cannot have it all. I will not have it all. So what do I want? So for me, the biggest biggest component of that was I'm not having children because I know that the things that are most important to me in life would be very, very, um, uh, reduced by having children through no fault of anyone's. It doesn't mean that I, 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 it doesn't mean that you can't have any of these things, but the extent to which I want, for example, freedom and options and the ability to travel when I want to, the ability to pursue creative and professional projects that interest me, the ability to uh, make decisions on a more spontaneous level. Those things would take by necessity a huge hit. 
And I'm not willing to do that. Yeah. And financially, for example, like the life that I live would also take a massive change if I were to have children. Similarly, there are other changes. Like, for example, we bought a home that was um, below our means because I knew that I wanted to have a mortgage payment. I pay the mortgage every month that even if I decided to, like my husband didn't work for a year because he yeah. didn't have his green card um, and we were able to still afford our mortgage. Um, and so making choices, like I don't care that I'll never have a washer dryer in my apartment or I only have a one bathroom or I'll never own a car, for example, probably ever again in my life. I haven't driven in 10 years. Like there are a lot of trade-offs that I make in my life because I know what's important to me. And again, I'm still working with a, a, a flexible budget, but at the end of the day, I know that there are several other choices that I could make in my life that would like... A lot of people in New York aspire to like have a weekend home, um, yeah. which they will then necessitate often having a car and like all of these other things. And so I think the most important thing to do if you struggle with prioritizing is to really try to draw a line in the sand of like, what are the things both tangible and intangible that are very important for me? And you got to pick a couple and accept that the other ones are not going to be reasonable. Yeah. Yeah. That's... I think a really healthy way of putting it. And I think like I've never thought about it in the, like that, you know, like literal of terms, but I do think in a way that's kind of how I've approached my entire life in New York. It's had to change a few. <clears throat> Did we hear that? <laughs> oh my God. Full sand in my throat. It's had to change a few times. Yeah. But I think that like, and it's hard. I think the the challenge with that comes in, and I'm sure you experience this massively with the pressures that women, like is when you're, priorities don't line up with others in right. terms of like that. So like for me, a huge thing when I moved here was like, the only thing I care about is my career. I moved to New York to make my dreams come true. Yes. So my lifestyle is I want every single bill to be as low as possible so that, because there is so much free labor that goes into being in, in, in entertainment. There is so much like time that you're not making money. So I was like, I need to have as low of a monthly of monthly expenses as possible so that I don't have to work as many hours at jobs that are not contributing to my career to make those ends meet. Do you know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. And I think that that was challenging at times when like my friends who were in entertainment were like, we want to go here for the weekend. It's like, I can't, that's not right. part of my reality. And I think that's, but you kind of, you got to fucking do it, I guess. You have to choose. And it's also so important to remember, I know I've said it a few times, but I, it bears repeating. Like I have a, a combined income with my husband that's higher than average, of course, but you can have as much money as you want and still be in debt and still be living paycheck to paycheck and still be on. If you're digging the hole. Yeah. If you're digging a hole and if you're constantly living at the top of your means and trying to say yes to everything, which people do a lot more than we realize. Yeah. It's, it's so, it, that is so interesting. Do you get, as someone who works in the personal finance space and is like, part of your job and career is suggesting what people do with their money, not telling them necessarily, but suggesting ways to like, how do you phrase that? I guess I'd. I was recently at a dinner with a friend of mine who is quite wealthy, quite successful, um, and did what I thought was not a super smart thing, um, when buying a home, um, obscuring all details. And I asked if it was okay if I shared a thought. Um, and, he welcomed it. And I said, you know, I, I would have done X differently. I think you can still do Y to kind of try and make up the difference a little bit. Um, but 
basically, um, to, to give some context, they put a lot down on a home, much more than necessary to have a low mortgage because I think there's kind of the, and they said as much, kind of that scarcity mindset of like needing that low mortgage. But when those mortgage, when those interest rates are rock bottom, especially compared to what you could stand to get in the market, there's no reason to tie up all that cash when you can get a super duper cheap mortgage. Um, you're better off keeping a lot more of that cash on hand and, for example, putting it in a well-diversified index To fund. grow, yeah. To grow. Um, and those kind of conversations I do have from time to time when it's welcomed. And in that case, I think there are also things that can be done. Um, but I think in general, one litmus test is I only do things where I only say things if it's something that could really help optimize with what someone's already working with. I never, ever want to be in the business of saying, oh, you shouldn't do that. You can't afford that. Any of that stuff. That to me is a long road to nowhere and quite frankly, just really inappropriate. Yeah. And I th I'm curious, do you get, because like tying back to what I said earlier, you don't have, your lifestyle doesn't necessarily maybe look like someone who's like super frugal. I'm not super frugal. Right, you're I'm not very, super frugal. I'm very you, open about do that. Do people push back about you? Absolutely not. No, 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 no. I that's the, that's the I think big misconception a lot of people have. So the very first guest that we ever had on our podcast was a YouTuber at the time. She's no longer a YouTuber named Ingrid Nelson, who was very big on YouTube okay. and said in the first episode um, and kind of set a precedent for people sharing numbers that I think she made something like two and a half million dollars the year before on YouTube. And YouTube money is so crazy. <laughs> It is and it is, and we can go in that yeah, another well, time. Yeah, no, <laughs> it could for be the crazier. people, it's um, crazy. For it's crazy. I, yeah. Oh, for sure. And she is definitely someone who got in on it on the right time, and she shared the numbers very openly, and the audience reaction was one thousand percent positive. Because what people, and we've also had guests on TFC who really try to obscure what they're working with, but also who try to seem falsely relatable, um, and. That to me is, and that always gets a super negative pushback. I yeah. did a video where I broke down everything I spent on my home, everything I spent on my kitchen renovation. Like I do those continually and they're not, for some people, they're outlandish numbers. For some people, they're within the realm. But the point is, I think what people are very, and and I also have to say, it's very important that I cover my bases with like, I only make the fourth most at my company. You know, I am very, very, serious about paying people fairly about, you know, benefits, maternity leave, how all of these things. As someone who is very, very close with one of Chelsea's employees, she provides a very good quality of life. Yes. Like, like, I, I think you should be very proud of that. Like well, I'm as, as someone who gets to watch a person who like lives working for you, like you are, you should be very proud of that. Thank you. And I, I do, I do take it very seriously, but I also look at it as like what people really push back against, or at least what I push back against is like, a Bernie girly as someone who canvasses for the working families party, all of that, like even in the most, you know, equitable societies, there are people who have more money. What yeah. we're really pushing back against is like, and what I personally push back against really strongly is other people I see in my industry and outside of it who are in my position as CEO or who work independently and hire people who don't pay them fairly, who, you know, I, I was recently at an event where I met someone who works for an extremely prominent YouTuber who was responsible for building this person's business essentially from zero, has no equity in the business, is paid pennies, can barely afford to like live in a condo. Their boss, who is the figurehead, is driving around in, you know, fucking Lamborghinis. And that, to me, it's really that disparity and that unfairness and that selfishness and that spiraling towards 
further wealth inequality is what people really push back against. The fact that I, you know, have an upper middle class lifestyle in New York City living in a two bedroom apartment with my dog and my husband, people are fine with it. Yeah, because it's not, God, that's such an important part of, part of the conversation because it's like, it because you like by, how do I word this? By like the people in my hometown in Vermont, you are wealthy, like by their standards. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And I think that's undeniable. But like the fact that that's the same word to describe like Jeff Bezos is flawed because the A level of wealth percent. is so like, so not even in the same planet. But I think, and yes. so that's like when the conversation is like, you know, tax the rich, like fuck the wealthy, eat the rich. It's like, we're talking about like the rich, like we're talking about yes. something very different than owning a two bedroom apartment in Manhattan, which is which still- Which I bought at the height of COVID by the way. So it was very <laughs> cheap, but continue. No, but yeah, but like still- that is, you are fortunate. And the, I guess the way to look at it is you are fortunate enough to be able to reasonably afford what should be like baseline attainable to like the average person in American yes. society. And unfortunately is not, that does not mean you don't deserve it. It means everyone else deserves to get it as well. Yes. That is a very good point. And I think the Jeff Bezos thing is really important The and this is like, again, I, I always say like we have the data for this, but we're constantly like researching this stuff for our videos. Like, so I'm very, I have a lot of these numbers kind of top of mind, but like it is a massive, massive social, political, economic problem in this country that people cannot visualize or understand the difference between a million and a billion. People think they're similar. They have nothing to do with each no, other. No, it's like actually crazy. It's actually crazy. And I hope if nothing else, like what's happened with Elon Musk and Twitter will at least somewhat, you know, have the scales fall from people's eyes that like people shouldn't be able to do this. No, it's crazy. Like $44 billion paying a, a billion dollars a year in interest or, or whatever the numbers are. Like this is absurd. And that has nothing to do with a person who lives in like a decently nice house. Yeah, absolutely. Do you start like slight pivot, but I'm curious, do you, and if this is too personal question, just deflect, but basically no such thing. Like, do you and your husband have like a strict budget that like breaks down, allocates like what you're spending each month on X, Y, Z? No. Um, no, we don't anymore because we don't really need to. We live below our means. You know, I think a lot of people just have That's that. such a luxury like, to do that. Yeah, like, pay yourself first. It's such a luxury to give yourself that like by living below your means, you can then like just kind of do things as well. A thousand percent. And I also, so I'm a type of person, I, this is something we talk about a lot on TFD. Like if you want to have, if you want to save more money, build wealth, et cetera, there's two ways you spend more or you spend less and earn more. For some people, and I think everyone should strive to, to some extent, spend less. You know, most people would do well to look at their spending habits and say, are there things I can change? Are there things I'm wasting money on or I'm not getting a lot of value out of? Because that's the case, no matter what you're doing. Penny Lane. <laughs> oh, she's good. She just repositioned um, <laughs> But I'm one of those people, and I think there are a lot of people out there who are very motivated by earning more. Yeah. And... I try to have every year a few side streams of income inside and outside of my own business. I, like most of my employees, are um, I'm on you know some variable compensation where I have commissions, bonuses, things like that for different projects, and I also do sometimes things outside of my job, especially with the four day work week, because I'm personally quite motivated by the idea that like there, for example, we're doing some home renovations. I mostly pay for those. I know like this is going to cost me. $15,000, let's say, for a certain renovation. I am much more motivated at the idea of how can I make 15,000 incremental dollars this year. Than to year, save 15,000. Than to save them. And, oh, I mean, 100%. And it's you so still have to be saving. But if you're motivated yes. by going out and earning more, I think that can also be a very powerful thing. 
Absolutely. So how do you, you mentioned earlier that your husband, Mark, who's lovely. Do you, lovely. Is it okay that I said his name? Yeah, of course. Okay. I, so people are like weird about their, like they no. don't like name their partners or whatever. He's very offline. Uh, he works in tech, which I think is like a common thing to like work in tech and be offline. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I, I mention his name all the time. Did you like mention like he loves like the per se ask like tasting menu gastronomy type dining. What do you like? I guess Bevelman's, but like. Yeah. So my sweet spot in a restaurant, like all my favorite places. Yeah. I'm curious. I guess I don't actually know. Like we've never talked like spots. We've gone to great spots together, but. Yes. Um, my all time favorite. No, I, I shouldn't say all time. That's too big a language. My favorite spot right now is a pretty new restaurant. I think it's a Danny Meyer restaurant, which I know is probably triggering for you. It's okay. <laughs> um, it's a it's a female chef though. It's Chisiamo. Um, it's in this very strange complex on the west side. Yes, I've right heard by Penn about Station. It. Um, outside, you're like, what is this place? It looks like an office park, but it kind of is. But is Rosie the chef? Hillary Sterling. Oh, okay. Look at me knowing the name of the chef, like. There's no nothing wrong with knowing the name of the chef. If I like it, especially with women in the industry, I like Absolutely. to follow them on Instagram and support them and stuff like that because it's, it's a tough world. Out so there. she's young, it's Italian. It's Italian, but it's definitely got like a very like decor wise, vibe wise. It's a very like Mad Men type of flair. It's I've beautiful. seen photos of this place. It it's looks stunning. absolutely stunning. And the food I do want to go. <laughs> exceptional. And like it has all those little touches. Like when you get your check, there are these beautiful homemade almond cookies that come out with it. And like the cocktails are so special and the food is so, you know, but it's, it's definitely not like a per se level. It's definitely in like the very nice, but not crazy level, yeah. which is my sweet spot. How much is like a, if you mark have her having a dinner there, how much is like the check at the end of the night? If we each do, let's say a cocktail, a glass of wine or two, we split an appetizer. We each get an entree. We split a dessert. We're probably out of there, including tip for 250 to 300. Oh, okay. Okay. Which is a lot, but I but mean. But compared, the ne- if we're leveling, if we're saying the next up level up is per se, that's $1,000. There's probably one level in between the two no, of them. No, there but is. Yes. There absolutely there, is. But, but I just, for perspective, for if people are listening and don't know like the difference in pricing, like. Yes, but that's like my sweet spot. And like, I love for me, anything that is very experiential and has like a very distinct, I love a theme. Yeah. Um, when I have dinner parties, I like to have a theme. Um, so like for, for anything that's like a red sauce Italian type place, like up at Monty's in Williamsburg, um, where you kind of dress up for it and there's an experience. I love a steakhouse. I would say steakhouses are some of my favorite. Uh, my favorite one is actually in Philly. It's Butcher and Singer. Um, oh, I'm going to Philly next month. Fabulous. Go there. It's so, ugh, I love everything about it. The food is so good, but it's also like, you know, it's a lot of those like, there's like almost a sunken living room type of vibe with the um, with the dining room where there's like chairs up here or there's tables down here, but then the real tables are the big like beautiful like, semicircle leather booths, like the brocade leather. Uh. With like there's like wallpaper of like dogs playing poker. Yep. It's like very Mad Men. Um, so all of that kind of stuff, I I just really love. I adore that. What's do you like? Do you have any New York steakhouses you love? Um, I would say my favorite steakhouse in New York is probably for Charles Prime Rim. I haven't gone yet, but I've heard it's wonderful. It's quite good. Yeah, I've heard it's really good. But I mean, to me, I mean, you take me to a Keens, you take me to a Gallagher's. I'm having yeah. a grand old time. I mean, same. I love that aesthetic. I feel like, because like, obviously, you know, like Holly David and I are like kind of a crew and like David's vegetarian. So like the steakhouses don't get in there with that restaurant crew that often. Yes. But I need, I need to wedge my way into one of them again soon. You got it. And, and have I, a wedge. I love a wedge. A wedge salad <laughs> is one of the all time. We got to get dinner, man. Like, yeah. I, we have, to, like, we have, overlapping have you had the taste. wedge at Bernie's? I talk about Bernie's every episode. Have you had the wedge I, at Bernie's? No, but Holly mm. was t- really playing this place up to me. Oh, we said well, we just name, went sorry. there for, oh, you can say Holly. <laughs> I said Holly's name. Okay. Um, 
I went to, we went to, we went to, we did my birthday dinner at Bernie's oh, two I weeks know. ago. Yeah. I heard all about it. It was so good. Yes. I yeah. love that type of place. The wedge is really stunning there. I love a wedge. I love a martini with blue cheese stuffed olives. Can like, I say that I find that hard to find in New York? Oh, I have a list. Wait, okay. Uh, send it to me. I also have a list. So I've been doing a power ranking of my favorite French fries in New York City um, that I like one day I'm going to like, I don't know, just for fun, like publish an article. Just like, I mean, that'll be a huge resource to everyone. I uh, Yeah, I have like a few like specific. I like to keep, uh, so I keep a spreadsheet of like different back pocket places for like, this is yeah. like if parents are in town, this is like so for a birthday. This is like great private events. Um, but the fries is a big one. That I keep Can watching. you just name a couple that you love? So my two favorite French fries in the city, at least in Manhattan, both, I, one of them closed, which was the Nomad Hotel, the, the bar at the Nomad Hotel. I have, you're not the first person to tell me about those fries. Those fries were fucking incredible. That place is gone. The entire hotel is gone. And then the other place was this place close to our office um, at Columbus Circle called Bluebird. Um, they're like, the fries that are my favorite are like the really, they're like shoestring, but they're like the battered. So they're like thin and super crispy crunchy. And oh. these are, I love a truffle fry. So these were like truffle with like sh- fresh. We were eating Parmesan. truffle fries last time I saw you. I just realized. <laughs> they were mid. Those weren't great, but I was happy to have them. But I was, yeah, I was happy to have them. But so like those have both kind of gone. There's also a place, um, I think your friend works there, Ruby's. Yes. They yes. have excellent fries. Okay. Good to know. But yeah, I'm a, I'm a skinny fry girly. So. so for me, skinny is tough. And here's why. Well, Uh-oh. here's the thing. I, if the skinny is so skinny, that it breaks off in the ketchup. Not I'm, that. So that is infuriating to me. The worst fries I used to hate more than anything, and I can disparage this place because it got canceled. The fries at the Spotted Pig. Disgusting. Those are like potato sticks. I wanted to die when I ate them. <laughs> I was like, I remember, I have a vivid memory of eating at the, and it's also like the Spotted Pig was like a nice, well, was it felt like a place where you should have been looking nice. People were acting disgusting there. But <laughs> like, I thought I was being bad at the Spotted Pig by like, you had to like scoop all of these like crumblies and like eating like the fries. It's like potato sticks. Hell, yeah, in the blue bag. Hell. Horrible. I hate, so I, when someone tells me a shoestring or a skinny fry, I get nervous that that's what we're going to end no, up. No, we're talking just slightly thinner than McDonald's fries. Just slightly and battered. Okay. There's real fluffy potato inside. When you say battered, are they actually like thrown in a batter? So there's a, a certain genre of fry that is literally battered. Like, I don't know what exactly the batter is, but oftentimes they're, sometimes they're literally battered. Sometimes they're just like tossed in cornstarch. I was going to say, there's like a thing where you put them in a cornstarch slurry. They're like coated kind of. Yes. Okay. And the they corn- have that like coating, that like crispy coating. I, yes. Wow. Yes. But to have the palate to catch that, because I bet, I bet 95%, like 95 out of 100 people would be like, this is just potato. I love French fries. One of my, like, so I have so many like, I love to, okay, so my husband and I are both big bar eaters. We love to eat at the bar. I really prefer eating at the bar. I, we love to socialize. We're both very, like, we love to meet people and have conversations. And, yes. Like, chat with the bartender and all of that and people watch. We love that. And we also love, we love spontaneity in dining. I don't love having a reservation as much. Like, sometimes, but I also okay, just Okay, we're like different there, up. but I get you. Well, I like to be able to pull up and be like, ooh, wouldn't that be so, would it be crazy if we went and had, you know, dinner there? And yeah. you can do that at the bar. If there's any sort of, so here's my thing, is that if there's any sort of like, we are getting, di- we're, if you and I are meeting at six and there's something at eight, like, yeah. and we're like, let's, we'll just find a place to eat. No, 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 no. If there's a time constraint and I'm hungry, we're right. going to need a reservation. But if we're going somewhere without a reservation, knowing that like, we're going to get drinks while we wait and like make a yeah. night of it, I'm over the moon to do that. Yes. So that's my delineation. But I also love eating alone. That's yeah. one of my favorite things is to take a great book and go eat alone. And the fries thing started because I had a once a month ritual where I would go to a 
bar, uh, usually the bar of a restaurant, and I would get a drink and a big order of French fries just for myself and a book and just that sensory. I, I once saw a very elegant older woman doing it, like much older, and that woman was having the time of her fucking life. It was you life. from the future. You just saw a vision. <laughs> it's just like, that bitch knows what's <laughs> up. And so ever since, and so now I'm on my fry journey. I think that's really gorgeous and I want to do that with tartar. That's oh, my version. You, tuna or beef? I prefer beef, but I know that it's... it's my husband but, loves beef tartare. I love beef Well, he's French. You, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like... I, I know that they like disproved it, but there was that... Do you remember that? There was that thing for a second where they thought like your blood type was like indicative of like what foods you enjoyed. That seems like it's probably real, right? I, it, I think it was more of a thing where they tried to make it into like a fad diet, which was like, if you oh. want to lose weight and you have type A, you should eat this. And then they're like, don't oh, listen to this. No. But for a second, it was like type O positive, which is I am, which is like the most common one. But like... It was like you really crave like iron and like blood and might just beef. be anemic. And I was like, I was like, yes. I mean, I don't think I'm anemic. I'm like, I'm like built like a football player. Like I don't think I'm not. I don't think one of those chic little anemic girlies. <laughs> I don't think I have an iron deficiency, but I, but like I do just love like I. I try to mitigate it because it's like not healthy for you and I do have bad cholesterol unfortunately I found out recently, um, and also it's like bad yeah. for the environment to eat it a lot. But like I do love beef like I love oh, beef yeah no I, I love listen I what my favorite compliment I ever heard someone give someone else was I was listening to a podcast and the host referred to her guest as being a woman of great excess in the sense of like she lives a generally quite balanced and reasonable life but like she loves a massage she loves you know a good martini she loves a nice steak every once in a while she loves like I do Sorry to say it, a cheeky cigarette every now and again. Absolutely. Um, and just really kind of enjoys those things. And I think beef to me falls in that category. It's certainly not something I eat every day. No, it's but not it's something indulgent. we have at the, at the house. But I think it's just one of those pleasures that like it, there's something about it when it's when it's right. And it's why I love steakhouses so much because I don't cook steak at home. I don't really cook beef yeah. at home. So it's just like a special moment. And I think if you're able to... Uh, to me anyway, if you're able to keep these special things for these really curated moments and going back to the theater of it, it's like there's, to me, nothing more wonderful about being alive. I know. I really feel like that's what I like. But yeah. I mean, because that's, that's also how meat used to be eaten was like it was a celebration to exactly. have it and to be. And I think that that is truly how it should be done. And I do think that that is why steakhouses feel so special. Yes. And also there is just like, this is a such another on the level of my fry thing, such a fucking pet peeve. I love anchovies. I know it's not everyone loves an anchovy, but to me, if you have a Caesar salad on a menu and it doesn't have anchovies, it's not a Caesar salad. And you can maybe specify it's like, this is a vegetarian Caesar salad or whatever. But like steakhouses are one of the few places, at least some of them, where you're getting a real ass Caesar, sometimes table side, where they're making it with the fresh egg yolk and the minced anchovy oh. and stuff like that. I do feel like there's a certain class of food that we've sort of watered down. Like I hate, a, a good Caesar salad is paradigm shifting, but 90% of the Caesar salads that you order at a restaurant are so shitty. Yeah. They're the, not it, even Caesar salads anymore. It's just like salty ranch. Like it's, it's like salty ranch. Yeah. And it's like, how have we diluted the pleasure of these things? I'd rather have one a year, but have it be spectacular. Yeah. I think that that's, that feels really in line with how I know you to be. Like, I feel like <laughs> I would rather have like, so in that vein, I like to end our episodes. Um, I like to end our episodes by planning our, a night out together. If we would like to have a night out together. Don't threaten me with a good time, Jake. <laughs> um, where, 
Okay, so what, let's talk about this. Yes. I think we should go somewhere nice and fancy. Obviously, <laughs> yes. Have you been to Oriole? Wait, that's not what it's called. Fuck, what's it called? Can you Google, wait, Google um, restaurant on Cortland Alley. Lo- Down in the- um, It's like in Soho or like- <sighs> You're not talking about Au Cheval. Au Cheval. Oh my God. It's not super fancy, but no, it's no, no, one it's of my favorite fancy. restaurants. But when you said, okay, no, but like you. Not me knowing what that was because no, I know it's on Cortland Alley. The, I mean, the only restaurant on Cortland Alley is Ocheval. But, well, okay, that makes sense. I thought Oriole. It's, yeah, yeah. But Oriole's an old Charlie Palmer restaurant. Ocheval, when you were describing what you liked, I was like, this kind of sounds like Ocheval. Yeah, it makes it because it has. It does, even though uh, that is a place where some people do look like shit. Um. <laughs> and let me tell you, there's nothing I love more. Just sorry, one note on that. Nothing I love more than a fancy lowbrow dish and their homemade bologna sandwich. They make like a homemade bologna that's fried. Ugh. Those burgers. And the, the reason I was going to say they have fries and one of the two best Vespers I've ever had in New York. So I, sure thought, do. I thought that would be a nice place to start if we want to have like a cocktail and a fry. And then perhaps we just get a phone out. No, well, I, purely to like be like, what do we want to like? Where should we go and yes. like find a nice restaurant nearby to explore? Yes. Or we get a steakhouse reservation. I like both of those. Where do you land on music with food? That's a really interesting question. That's a really interesting question. <laughs> Trapdoor. So I went to one of my fa- I went to one of my favorite Italian restaurants last night. Mm. And I forgot that on Sunday nights they have live jazz and my stomach dropped. Cause I was like, I was like, I don't like when the music's too loud that you can't yes. hear. These jazz players hit the perfect volume. Yes. It was live jazz, but I could very comfortably have a conversation over it. There's another restaurant that I don't want to name that is somewhat in my neighborhood that some nights has live music where the event is the live music and the food is becomes secondary, secondary yeah. and then you can't talk. And that to me is a full nightmare and I would like to leave. Got it. Bars with DJs are my nightmare as well. Yeah. That's not my. So vibe. I guess my thing is I am always going to want to be having a conversation. I'm not super interested in going to a restaurant where the thing is that you watch music and don't talk. I totally agree with you. What I'm saying though is that like I think there's a specific like if you're going to go out downtown and start with like, you know, a cocktail and a cheeky plate of fries, like I do love the idea of going somewhere that has like a little gentle piano, like a little like an old school Italian Absol- restaurant okay, that yeah, like absolutely. you know, maybe the owner's getting up at 10 p.m. to like do a little Dean Martin. <laughs> like because to me it's like otherwise if we're not going to go for something that's like an a totally different but equally special vibe, then we just have dinner there. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay. So you're like, it, might as well stay at Ocheval unless we're going to pivot to something very yeah, different. Yeah. Like go like really like, you know, white tablecloth Italian kind of a place. I haven't done that in so long that I would do that. I love that. And I, for for the record, I, as you probably can tell, I'm a talker. I don't like any place where we can't talk, but we live uptown um, and across the park in Harlem are so many restaurants where there's just like, there's just like a little, a little lovely jazz happening and it just feels so special. I mean, that sounds so nice. Wait, w- one question before we go, cause I am curious. What are your, because I, I lived uptown for three years mm-hmm. with Holly but I was like broke at the time. I feel like I didn't, what's like your uptown spot? I'm just curious, like where's the place to go up there right now? For what? Nice, just like a, not, I'm not saying like big, huge, expensive date night, but you and Mark want to have like a nice dinner. Hmm. There's a lot uptown that I really like. Um, 
I would say if we want to get something that feels like a nice mix of like typical, I believe locally owned, um, but still a little kind of special. I love um, B2 Seafood. Okay. It's on, um, I want to say like 120th and maybe FDB, like between that and Manhattan or something. But it's it's like this really beautiful, it's like kind of loungy. They specialize in seafood, which we love. Um, great drinks. It's also pretty close to this really exceptional cocktail bar, Sugar Monk Uptown. Okay. Um, which is like, a, almost like has a speakeasy, very like lush boudoir lounge vibe. I love it. There's okay. also a new tapas place uptown that I really love. Called? Called Enoteca, I want to say. No, maybe. I'll have to look into it, but I believe okay. Enoteca. Gorgeous. This has been one of my favorite episodes. This has been so, so great. Thank you so much Thank for doing you. the show. I've really enjoyed this. I'm always talking about the most boring shit. <laughs> I'm always like having to go to like, I don't know, like talk about like, what are your best tips for using a credit card? Yeah. Which is important, but like, this is fun. <laughs> I used all my, just to, on, on the quick note of credit card points at the end of, I was in Scotland doing Edinburgh Fringe. So and, I heard. Yeah. And. I obviously it was like the most expensive thing I've ever done. And I had two nights in London to myself before I came back because I was flying in and out of London and I could have stayed with friends for free, but I was like, I medically need a nice hotel. Like I've never wanted to stay because hotels are like my favorite thing. Like oh, a really same. luxury hotel. And I forgot I hadn't, because I had gotten hooked up with a flight by a friend who works for an airline. I forgot I had all my Amex points and I used them to get a hotel for two nights. And it was um, the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. In my There's nothing life. better. That robe, that mini bar, the cold Snickers. Also, when I got there, I didn't know this, but the Amex, the partnership with this hotel, and he goes, and by the way, for your night, you have for your two nights, you have a hundred dollars of free room service. And I almost cried. <laughs> it's like wow. free room service was the one of the, I'm. It's going to be one of the highlights of 2022 for me. Was that I had free two highlights nights of, of your free, life. Ugh. Highlights of your life. Also, I would just like to say, speaking of my work. Maybe Holly told you, but you'll be pleased to know that several of the girlies organically shared your TikTok about why sweaters are hot <laughs> into the chat, and everyone was like, "Jake's so funny! I can't believe Holly knows him." Oh gosh, bless! You have many fans, uh, and I am a big fan of the financial diet. Thank you, thank you for having me. Oh, this, this was great. Thank you so much for listening to Going Out with Jake Cornell. If you could please go and rate and review us on whatever you're listening to this on, that would be really gorgeous for me in a huge way. So thank you. And now for some credits. Going Out with Jake Cornell is recorded in New York City and produced by Keith Beavers and Katie Brown. The music you're hearing is by Darby Seasai. The cover art you're probably looking at was photographed by M. Cooper and designed by Danielle Grinberg. And a special shout out to Vinepair co-founders Josh Mallon and Adam Teeter for making all of this possible. 